the Grind to Growth to Greatness podcast. The best and brightest entrepreneurs, CEOs, creators, athletes. We'll talk to them all and we'll get the good, the bad, and the ugly on how they made it. Decoding the secrets of success. And now your host, Terry Barr. Well, hey, hey, we're back at this this uh, this podcast, Grind to Growth to Greatness. We have a fantastic guest today. I've been looking forward to this guest for a while, uh, ever since he said he would do this. So we've we've uh, gone back and forth a couple times. We finally got settled in on a time. So we're excited to to have him, Doctor Greg Bledsoe. He is from Arkansas, and he's currently lives in Arkansas, resides there with his wife Sarah and their three daughters. Um, he's quite, uh, quite the man. Um, he's got a great, uh, a great bio. I, I want to touch on a couple of things. He's obviously, he's an emergency room doc in Arkansas and, uh, he's got his MD from, uh, from, uh, Ar- the university of Arkansas and, uh, spent some time at Johns Hopkins on the staff about five years. Uh, I was teacher of the year, 2005. So, uh, that's, that's quite an accomplishment at a, uh, an esteemed institution like Johns Hopkins. Um, let's see, he had his just recently in the last couple of years, got his MBA at MIT. Pretty exciting. And he is the owner of a business called, uh, Exped Med, uh, and they are a training expedition medicine company. They train other docs and, uh, expedition folks on extreme medical, uh, which is really interesting, and I'll, I'll let you talk to I let him talk to you about that. Uh, recent, just as recently as this year, he was the Ryder Cup uh, team physician uh, over across the pond. We didn't fare too well in that one, but uh, what an what an experience that must have been for him. And then, obviously, he's done a couple things in the past. He was uh, a Secret Service consultant uh, for um, George W. Bush. He was the personal doctor for Bill Clinton on a couple of his tours. So uh, Gr- Dr. Greg Bledsoe has done an awful lot. And uh, he is, uh, to top it all off, he was an Eagle Scout. So you can expect that from him. So, <laughs> But I want to welcome uh, Dr. Greg Bledsoe into our show. And uh, we want to get right down to it. We've got, we've got short time because he's a busy guy. And uh, let's, let's get into it. So Greg, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thanks for doing this for us. I'm super excited to hear about uh, everything you've done. And as we say, the grit behind the grind or that, that, that journey below the surface, if you will, and how you got to where you're going. So tell me a little bit about your family, Greg, and uh, where you grew up and just yeah. start from the beginning. So I grew up in Northwest Arkansas, Rogers, Arkansas. Um, my dad was a general surgeon in the area, so I grew up in a healthcare family. I uh, was active in our church and in the Boy Scouts, as you mentioned, and went to school up there. And, uh, you know, got interested in healthcare because of my family's affiliation with it and ended up going to medical school at, at uh, the University of Arkansas. And then from there, went to Johns Hopkins and then kind of all over the world. But, um, but the beginning of that was just, you know, being in a small town in Arkansas. On, listening to my dad, watching his career. Uh, we went on a few medical missions trips. Uh, the first time I ever went overseas out of the United States was to the country of Haiti. 
where my dad had volunteered to be a surgeon there and I helped him in the operating room when I was probably oh. 16 years old. So, um, yeah, that was my first exposure to any sort of international travel. And it, it really marked me. It, um, I, I remember we, uh, we flew over on, I think it was a DC nine, one of the old yeah. tail dragging prop planes. And we landed on the runway in 80. And when they turned the engines off, there were chickens <laughs> that were running across the runway. I thought, no, this, is, this is different. I, you know, this is different. But uh, I had a great experience there. But that was the first time I ever went overseas and it really marked me. And that was the beginning of my interest in global health and international health care and, and, you know, kind of other things yeah. that I went on to do. That's, uh, that's interesting. That was one of my, my, my questions. You know, I, I, all of the, the people that I've interviewed so far, either their environment, their parents, their, you know, where they grew up. Uh, obviously, if, and, you know, smart people marry each other, then obviously there's some genetics there that kind of leads right into some things like that. But everybody said kind of the same thing, you know, I grew up in this area that kind of led me to this, led me to X, led me to Y. Uh, tell me about your mom a little bit. I think uh, my mistake, she's in politics yeah. as well, right? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mom has a great story. She was a little bit at my dad's surgical clinic, but for the most part, when we were growing okay. up, she was a stay-at-home mom. Um, her background was journalism. And she, uh, it was when... Well, I have two younger siblings, and when my youngest sibling went off to college, I remember my mom, we were sitting around the table one summer, and she said, um, when, you know, my, when Trisha is my sister, when Trisha goes off to college, <clears throat> I'm either going to go back and get my master's degree, or I'm going to get a job, or I'm going to run for office. And uh, we said, okay, you know, whatever, mom, you know, you tell us what you're going to do. And she had volunteered on some political campaigns, but had really not been active. Like, she mm -hmm. had never run for anything. And story short, she ran for state representative and got elected and served all of her terms there, got term limited out and then ran and wow. ran again for the state Senate. And so she spent almost 20 years in the Arkansas legislature. Um, but that was a, you know, that was a second career, so to speak. Her first career was being a homemaker and, uh, and raising us, which was, you know, I, I feel like something that was very valuable. I feel very privileged that uh, my mom did that because it, it, you know, with big yeah, and so you're married to Sarah as well. Uh, Sarah, that for those that don't know, uh, tell me a little bit about Sarah. Uh, I know I, I know Sarah a little bit personally, and you've got three lovely kids and very uh, very accomplished in their own yeah. rights. But tell me a little bit about Sarah and and how she fits into the picture. So the the way I describe it is, everyone who knows both <laughs> of us likes Sarah better. So, <laughs> um, but uh. She's very personable. She's very warm. Uh, what attracted me to Sarah was she's very beautiful, but she also has a warmth about her and a friendliness and a, an approachability that a lot of people don't have. And she lights up every room that she enters. And so I remember when we first started dating, I was at Johns Hopkins and um, majority of my friends were physicians, uh, mm -hmm. public health people. And um, Sarah and I started dating and I would take her to these these get togethers. And it was just, it was so funny. I, I would, I tell her even now, I say it was electric because she was so um, unique in a very sure. positive, fun way. And it just drew, drew people to herself. And so I really, I've always liked that about her, but she's, she's been great. We've gone all over the world. She went with me to Antarctica when I served as a, a ship physician on an expedition down there. And she's gone with me to the Middle East and well, really all over the world. So she's been a great partner and friend and and I feel very blessed that, um, yeah. Yeah, that's a, she's an interesting gal. She's a consummate mom as well, I see. I mean, I get to, it's funny, I get to yeah. see everybody that 
on, you know, Facebook and social media and stuff. And you can tell moms that are involved and when moms are really, really doing that thing. She's, yeah. she's got her own master's degree, I guess, in, in education. So I think she's, yeah. is she uh, teaching the kids at home? Is that what I read? Maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. So when, when we moved back to Arkansas in 2015, we came in the middle of the school year and uh, we had toyed with the idea of homeschooling up until that time, but that was really the first time that we tried it. And it really worked for our family. My schedule, my work schedule is really weird. And so it allows more flexibility for the family. And we've done it. You know, we reassess every year, every child, every year, we kind of do an assessment of what's what best for that child. And for the most part, we've been sort of in and out of homeschooling for the past mm-hmm. uh, eight years. And it's been a really good thing for our family. We really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I feel really blessed that she's willing to do that that amount of investment in the family and sacrifice. Business. Yeah, I mean, I've like I, I've been around your children a couple times, not too much, but they all seem to be very distinctive. They have their own gifts and they have their own, you know, they're each going in different directions, but they're they're very likable kids and and so it, it makes sense, I guess, that you're, you. you know, reassess every year to see what's best for whoever's doing what. But uh, yeah. tell me a little bit about that. Um, as a family, you and Sarah, when you when you talk about, because you've done a lot of things. I mean, I look at this list of things and I think, how in the world does one person accomplish all these things? And and good for you. Some of it, I'm sure of it, some of it's, uh, you know, intellectual capabilities and opportunities all wrapped into one i don't i don't know but um how do you assess as a as a husband and wife and i don't get too far off the track but this is part of your success so how do you assess on a quarterly bi-yearly yearly basis you know what you're going to do as a family uh how you're how are you going to take your next step forward whatever that looks like yeah that's a great question sometimes um Sometimes that's neat. That's easy because you have one thing that's been put in front of you and you just try to focus and do it to the best of your ability. But other times it can be difficult because there's multiple pathways you can go down. And I think it, <clears throat> there's no easy answer to that or, you know, cookie cutter way of doing it, except to say, um, I listen to the input from my wife. She's got her finger right. on the pulse of each of the kids, you know, what they right. are. That's one of the things we pray about it, obviously. And we try to be sensitive to, um, you know, sort of the, the bigger picture, what we want to accomplish with our lives, which is, you know, doing something more than right. just living for today. Um, but, but really it's, um, I think it boils down to, it's, it's an act of seeing what's in front of you and then saying, okay, what are the, what's the next thing that we should be doing or could be investing in? sort of furthers our, our, the overall principles of our lives or the goals of our life. And, um, and again, sometimes that's really easy and then sometimes it's not so easy. And I've had periods of time where I felt like I had almost an unlimited number of directions I could go. And then I've had times in my life where it's been like, okay, it's one or two options, or maybe it's, yeah. there is no selection. <laughs> you know, it's just right. do this because you have to do it. Um, so that's, I, I don't know if that really answers the question. No, it's good. I, I think that in, in everyone's life there, there's, you know, here's what I should do. Perhaps maybe I have two or three things. This is yeah. what I should do. Here's what I'd like to do, or I'd want to do. And sometimes those are in conflict. Right. And that's an interesting question that I ask and how you work through that. Now, people like yourself, yeah. and I would say I'm in the same pew as you. Uh, so we have a faith 
And that comes into play. And where, where, where do I guide my, or where does my faith guide me and the things I should do? And then how does that stack up with the things I want to do? But, um, you know, tell me about that a little bit. Uh, how does your faith guide you? And those two areas want it. Yeah. And um, should. Yeah. And that, those are really good. That's a good point. And I think it all, it all sort of blends together in the sense of my faith helps direct. Well, first of all, my, my faith keeps my eyes sure. above just my circumstances. So, um, you know, I, I believe there's something beyond here and now, and, and I try to live accordingly. So that's number one. But then number two, there are principles for living that my faith teaches me. And, you know, one of the things it teaches me is that when circumstances go awry, when things aren't going well, that there's a bigger picture and there's more to it than just your day to day. And so you live your life by principles, realizing that, you know, that you're being committed to the task at hand, living principles, uh, having a life of integrity is a win in and of itself, even if your circumstances don't necessarily change. And that helps when things get difficult. But, um, you know, one of the things I see with young people a lot and some things that you know, I struggled with as well is you might have a, a direction that you want to go or an end point where you want to be, but that's four or five, six steps ahead. And there are people who, when they can't go to point A to point B, yeah. you know, overnight, sure. they get frustrated and they get, they get, you know, uh, discouraged. And so what I tell young people is, is that, you know, it's great to have goals and a long-term picture of where you want to go. But if it's not happening as quickly as you want, a good principle to keep in mind is do the next thing, conquer, you know, the, the little area, the little, the little area that you've been given, be excellent at what the work that the Lord's mm-hmm. given you to do today. And then build off of that, don't, don't sit waiting for the perfect opportunity Start building today by developing excellence in your. Yeah, that's great. I think, I think our young people, unfortunately, are being fed a bill of goods. You know, we've got these seven or eight second sound bites that say, "Grab your, you know, do something. Grab, do what you're passionate about." Well, passion without purpose is really pretty empty, uh, and so I, I think it's tough. Yeah, and um, it, what you're what you're saying is like, look, just take the next step that's in the direction of the place you want to go. And right. I think that's crucial. Resilience. I yeah. know resilience is something that, that I try to instill in myself. I need to be resilient. I need to get off the ground when I'm knocked down. Is it something that, you know, you talk about to your kids? What do you talk about to your kids individually or collectively? Cause they're so individual kids. They, they're going different places, but it's the overall, it's the overall message to them on a daily basis as they try to find their way? Yeah, that's a good question. I think number one, um, your, your journey, you know, there are principles that we have to live by, but your journey is going to look differently than my journey. So don't compare, don't compare your journey to anyone else. You're, you know, if I'm talking to one of my daughters, I say, you know, your journey your temperament, your skill set, the talents that the Lord's given you are different right. than your sisters. Don't watch your sister and compare yourself to your sisters. Your journeys are different. Don't compare yourself to me and my journey or Sarah, my wife and her journey. The Lord's journey for you is going to be different just because you're a unique individual. But what you need to do is you need to find out how the Lord's put you together, 
who he's made you to be, and then take that next step, start developing skills in the area that God's gifted you in and learn how to hold fast even when times get tough. And because it's not just about finding a comfort zone, it's about being um, someone who is, is producing, uh, for lack of a better word, you know, qual- quality work for the, for the Lord, for uh, pleasure and glory. You know, not, not just about, you know, not, not just about uh, trying to find the most comfortable position. Being comfortable in, in the journey, even though it might not be well-defined, maybe. Um, That's exactly right. And there's a great book, um, So Good, They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that, but that's a good one. And it talks about how he interviews some really top performers. <clears throat> and he asked them how they got there. And most of them got to where they were in weary, v- very unique ways. I mean, the, the path they traveled right. a little bit bizarre, but they had common principles. And one of them was is that they didn't sit around waiting for the perfect opportunity. They developed their skill set from where they were in the beginning. And one thing led to another, led to another. So we talked yeah, about that. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, now, one of, the, one of the things that I find very fascinating because I, I get um, little things can stress me out. Uh, on a day-to-day basis and you, you kind of wrestle with those in your daily work, but you're in a business that's very high stress, I would assume. Um, how, it, how do you, how do you deal with, you know, emergency room? I have a friend here that's emergency room doc and we talk a little bit about these things, but how do you go from patient to patient to patient with different, different maladies or different injuries or different problems? And how do how do you manage that moment in time with those each individuals on their needs with, and their physical needs, I should say, and then their emotional needs. Because most most docs are like, you know, hey, I've got to yeah. get in, I've got to get out, and I've got to get to the next one. And you don't strike me, you don't strike me as that, yeah. that kind of doc. But I was just curious. Yeah, I, I think I've, I've gotten better at that as I've gotten older. Um, I've been medicine mm-hmm. for 20 years now. But um, I think there's, you know, there's an aspect of time management and triaging, you know, where you need to go first. That's an aspect of it. But another aspect is, is that, um, for lack of a better phrase, walking into a patient's room, you wipe the slate clean and you walk in. And one of the biggest mistakes that people have in general, not just emergency physicians, is they take baggage from, from one set of circumstances and one interaction into a new set of circumstances sure, and a sure. different interaction. A, the, the, the next person they're interacting with doesn't have the benefit of knowing what you just went through. So if I'm dealing with someone that just got, you know, run over on their motorcycle and there's blood everywhere, they barely resuscitate him. And it's this big stressful thing. And my next patient is someone with a head cold. They don't know that recent history. All they know is doctors here and maybe the doctor's running behind and maybe I've been waiting too long or maybe, you know, whatever. And so from an emotional standpoint, wiping the slate clean and walking in and, and realizing that you're starting from square one from with that person, and it's not fair to have the expectation of them that they are to know all that just happened. And I think being less judgmental and more understanding of yeah. that has really helped me in the Is that something is that that takes does that take a mental, like an absolute effort on a daily for you? Yeah. It, it's a discipline. It's a discipline. And it's something that naturally you have to take a step back 
but it's helped it's helped me actually be a better husband and better parent because same principle, you know, I, I work in a busy emergency mm-hmm. department, crazy things happen, and I drive home and as I'm walking into the front door of my house, it's the same thing. My kids and my wife don't know what I just went through. I they're they're, you know, filtering through and dealing with right. the things in their lives. And so it's a matter of it's an act of discipline. You you wipe the slate clean and you walk in and you you give them the freedom to not yeah. to, to not know, you know, and that's it. You know, we'll talk about my day from time to time, but but there's this, I think we we all as human beings have this unspoken expectation that people are kind of, you know, that that they either know or they understand or they're plugged in somehow. Um and and they they aren't. And so I think you know, wiping that slate clean and walking in gives you a little bit of that that just enough emotional distance to not just be reactive and to let things be a little bit more um right. I, and it seems like that would be a discipline that would you you said, you know, that could you know that that's helpful in your family life where but that's could be a discipline in yeah. anything that you do to wipe that slate clean going from one discipline to yeah. the next. In other words, you go from the emergency room to, you know, I knew you did some stu- studying for your MBA. I mean, that's a that's a whole different, yeah. you know, s- skill set there. So wiping that emergency room doc from that, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure don't let me talk out of turn, but uh, it seems like that discipline would be a, a top 10 discipline for anyone to grab to say, if I can, if I can, when I walk out this door, if I can like, wipe the, the slate, I can be in a better place for my next activity or my next family member or my next friend or my next colleague. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives you, um, I think it gives you more, more patience maybe, or more, um, more empathy for that second person that you see, because you don't have those, you know, you, you by doing that, you, you don't, place on them the expectation that they should be there, you know, completely understanding what you've gone through and gives you that emotional separation that, that allows you to be better in that. So you're, you were a professor for five years and you, you did some, you did uh, a couple things at, at Johns Hopkins. Um, and so you're, you're a natural, obviously a natural teacher. And how do you pass that along to, you know, how do you teach that to your kids? How do you teach a, a discipline like that to your kids? You know, kids are much more reactive typically. They're much more emotional. So, how, well, is there anything that you do for them? And um, I, I guess I don't want to talk about your kids too much, but but it's it just it just seems like that would be a good point for a teacher to say, "Look, this is what I've learned. If yeah. you can do this." Well, yeah, and that, and I think coupled with one of the things that we talk about in our family is, um. We, we've said this ever since the girls were really little. Uh, and I think it's been a great conversation piece for us, especially as they've gotten older and gotten through their teenage years, which is, um, we tell them that the standard, we have an objective standard in our family for our behavior, for our reactions, for our language, for how we interact as, as a family and standard is objective and it's, it, it's not correlated with how we feel. So if I wake up and I'm tired and I didn't get a good night's sleep or I'm stressed or anxious, that still doesn't give me the right to yell and to be inappropriate or be angry or whatever. And so the way we phrase it to our kids is that 
no one in this family has the right to lose control and act inappropriately. And what that means is, is that we're all held to that standard. So if the girls are acting up and they're fighting or they're, you know, arguing with us, we hold them to that standard. But, but likewise, if I come home from work and I'm frustrated or I'm tired or whatever, I work, I wake up right. on the wrong side of the bed, yeah. I'm held to that standard. And so it's, it's not, you know, I get to act, you know, angry right. and mean and, and, uh, impatient because dad or Sarah gets to act like that because she's the mom. We're all held to that. But what that does, I think, is that empowers, it does a couple of things. Number one, it, it, it gives an objective standard, teaches the kids that there are objective standards, but it also teaches the kids and reminds us as adults that we choose sure. our reactions. No one can make you behave inappropriately. No one can force you to be angry. Between the circumstance and your reaction, there's a decision point and you can choose your, your reaction. And I think that's, that's something we've talked a lot about in our house, that no one has the, the freedom to act however they want, mm-hmm. even if they're tired, even if they're hungry, even if yeah, and I, frustrated. You know, so I that, think that could translate into life. I mean, you know, when they go out the door, there's, unfortunately, maybe there's not objective standards in the world that we know it like they used to be. But nevertheless, when they go out, they have, still have a standard that they take with them. And, and, and they can take, take yeah. that into the world and the yeah. workplace or the, you know, their friend groups or what, what have you. Um, I think that's a, I think that's a really good, um, a really good standard to have. Tell me about, um, tell me about you as you've, I don't, how old are you? May I ask that? Is that a, a yeah, I was like, this guy's 30 years old and he's done 150 things. So I'm glad <laughs> to hear you're 50. That makes me feel better. Uh, but over the course of your, let's call it career, uh, starting, starting with med school and, you know, whatever, um, what, who, who was the person or persons that you went to for, for mentoring? Like who, who could you call on? And has that changed? Has there been people in your lives that have come along that you say, you know what, I'm not sure Dr. Bledsoe doesn't have the answer to this. I need to go get some counsel. Uh, who do you go to and how do you vet? that advice? That's a great question. I, I think I've been fortunate that at different stages of my life, it's been different people and for, for different mm-hmm. topics, it's been different people. So, you know, I'll give you a couple of examples. When I was in medical school, there was a guy that went to my church who was on faculty and we became friends and he became a mentor of mine when we were in medical school. I was in medical school and residency and we would have a weekly Bible study, yeah. you know, talk session and and he's a full friend. He was in my wedding and, um, he's, yeah, so that's, that's one aspect. And then, you know, as I went through my career, there were others that, you know, some shared my faith, some didn't, but were a few stages. Did you, st- did you seek those people out? I, I mean, did you, did you say, Hey, I need it. Or did they just fall into your peer group or, you know, your surroundings from where we were spending your time? Yeah. Some, some of them, it was, you know, informal like that. It was just, you know, the p- person who was a couple of rungs ahead of me on the ladder that, you know, took a liking to me and I respected them. And, and, you know, they, they never said yeah, I'm a mentor course. and I never called them that maybe in, re- in retrospect, mm-hmm. they most certainly were, but then there are other people that, that I sought out. So, um, I remember, um, there was a Christian author, uh, Jerry sure. Thomas. I'm not, I don't know if you're familiar with him, called sacred marriage and sacred parenting. So I went through a stage where I wasn't really reading a lot of Christian, mm-hmm. modern Christian books. And 
remember Sarah got a copy of, can't remember if it was Sacred Parenting or Sacred Marriage, but she got a copy of it and was reading it and would read it to me at night. Oh, this is really good. Listen to this passage. And I was really impressed by this author. And um, one thing led to another, and I read a couple of his books. And I won't give you sure. the, the whole long story, but the short version, there were a couple of other couples in my town there that also read his books. And we thought, wouldn't it be fun if we you know, went to one of this guy's conferences? And then we realized our schedules would never align. So I just emailed Gary Thomas and said, if we paid for you to come, would you just come and teach wow. like our five families or three families? And to his credit, wow. he said, sure. So make a long story short, Gary's become a friend and someone I bounce things off of and we're still friends. This has been going on for yeah. 10 or 15 years now. And that's that I sought out because I respected his uh, writing and, and uh, what he had to say. And, and, you know, as far as going back to your original question, how did I vet it at him? You know, I just, I vetted him. Yeah, or vet the advice. Yeah, obviously you, you'd seen that and it made sense to you over that period of time. Yeah. Um, kind of in that vein, um, as you're working through decisions in your life or whether they're day to day or whether they're, you know, uh, um, career changes. I know you've recently had a little bit of a career change uh, and maybe something's not quite black or white to you. I, I in a business that I don't speak, there's black and there's white to me. And occasionally there's some gray. Yeah. And the gray is sometimes hard to figure out. And it's usually contractual or whatever. But uh, in your business, if there's a gray that comes up, it's not black, it's not white. What do you do to navigate the gray in your life? And you can call it what you want, but. Boy. Yeah, that can, that's, that boils down to wisdom. And that, you know, someone told me once, they said, um, you know, how do you become wise? Well, you become wise because you, you have uh, a lot of experience. Well, you know, how do you get good experience? Mm. That's from being unwise. <laughs> it's from your back of wisdom. And so, uh, yeah, that's the yeah. path. And so unfortunately, you know, a lot of the gray area things, because there's no wrong or right, it's just a matter of wisdom. You know, do I get this loan? Do I not? Do I buy this vehicle? Do I not? Do I live yeah. under that town? And, uh, and I think, you know, there, there are things that sometimes you just have to no. take a step, but, uh, but if you can, and you have the ability to navigate it, I try to seek out, you know, people who I think would know more about mm -hmm. that topic than I do. So, you know, it's about raising kids or, you know, no. a marriage question or a relational, then I have a group of friends that I respect that I think would know about that and I'll bounce things off of them. And the same thing with financial stuff and the same thing with medical stuff. I think the key is that ultimately though, it's yeah. you still have to make the decision. And I noticed that there are, there are, you know, there's a, a personality type that comes to you for advice and what they're really at. Make that choice for them. Yeah. Make decision. No. And you can't. So you, you have to recognize that when you go to someone for advice, they're going to give you their advice, but you still have to weigh that. And ultimately you have to make the decision because you're going to be the one that, that has to take responsibility for that. And so that's, that's the difficulty, but I think it is good to have not just, I mean, I, I'm a believer in not just one mentor, but sort of a team course approach where you have people who are advisors in a lot of different areas because people have strengths in different areas. And so I had a group, an informal group. I kind of, yeah. And you're in, and you're in that business. I mean, you're in the business of teams. You, you don't, you know, somebody has a big medical situation. You're bringing all, all the brains and, 
all the experience and all the wisdom. And, yeah. and that's what, that's what you want as a patient, you know? So you want somebody to come in and bring all, all their ass yeah. to it. This episode of Grind to Growth to Greatness is brought to you by Terry Barr. Distinctive real estate. Advising families across Pennsylvania and Northern Virginia for over 15 years. Visit the website at terrybarrealestate.com. So there, you've done a couple interesting things, and I, I kind of wanted to touch on those a little bit and and kind of understand how you got those opportunities and what what drew you to them. You spent some time. Uh, you participated in some diplomatic missions with uh, George W. President uh, George W. Bush, and then you were a personal doctor for Bill Clinton on some tours, is what I read. Obviously, I mean the, the connection with Bill Clinton. I'm, I'm assuming it's Arkansas thing, but uh, tell me a little bit about that. I know you were the Ryder Cup physician. How did those positions come? And you know, I mean, you don't have to tell me the the personal stuff, but was that opportunity? Was that, you know, as a result of being, you know, Greg Bledsoe or can anybody work themselves into something like that? I mean, that's, you know, people have a lot of dreams without focus. Just that. Yeah. So I get, I get asked that a lot, especially by medical students or recent medical medical school grads. And what I tell them is, is that I, I can't give you a roadmap to my career because it's been very eclectic and very odd. And it's been, it, it's contained some risks. There's not a residency program that teaches you how to be the Ryder Cup physician or the surgeon general of a state, you know, a, you know, working with nurse. It just sort of, that's how my career unfolded. But <clears throat> the, um, the secret service stuff, the department of emergency medicine at Johns Hopkins has a contract with us secret service. There were a group of about probably six or seven physicians, maybe 10 physicians that would travel. They were sort of on call. And so an acting president, so President Biden has a White House group of physicians. And when he travels overseas, he has some military physicians that go with him. But former presidents, so Obama, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, um, those are the the folks that don't travel with, they have secret service protection, but they don't have medical care until in, in, you know, outside of the Hopkins folks. So the Hopkins folks were hired to provide medical support when these former presidents were traveling around doing, you know, fundraising, diplomatic work or whatever they they do. And so that's why I ended up traveling with Bill Clinton to Africa in 2002, 2003, I was on Bush's advanced team when he went to, to, back to Africa and Senegal and, uh, Ghana is where I know Uganda. Is that something you enjoyed? Is that something that was uh, interesting? Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really fantastic. Um, it you know it's a little bit challenging. It's a different type of medicine because you know you're you're dealing with all the medical stuff, but you're dealing with it in a foreign country. So you have right. the tropical and travel medicine on top of that. But then you're also dealing with the potential tactical situations. You have people who are armed. Um, potential people who might be seen to harm the person Mm -hmm. that you're trying to protect. And you're also part of that mission is keeping that the security people and the staff around the president healthy so they can do their jobs. So it was, it can be challenging as, you know, being a medical officer in that environment, but it was really, yeah, I can imagine. So what, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Was it the, uh, was it the, the, 
um, government details with the ex-presidents or the, the co-authoring of Expedition Wilderness Medicine. And, and how in the world did you, I mean, I know you spent time at Johns Hopkins, but which came first? I mean, what drew you to that? That is a, that's an ex- exciting form yeah. of medicine, it seems. Yeah, so I went from, I did my residency in emergency medicine at Arkansas, and then I did a fellowship in international emergency medicine at Hopkins and got mm-hmm. my master's in public health. And that's when I started working with the, the Secret okay. Service and the diplomatic teams. And towards the end of my five years at Hopkins, I signed a contract with a publishing company to do the expedition medicine textbook, which then was a springboard into uh, the gotcha. Exped Med. Okay. Med- all right. And so kind of all, and then, you know, just, Doors sure. open as you know, you walk through one door and there's another hallway of the so doors. I, and then I got the uh, one, I, I got the uh, the idea probably from your daughter. I don't know where I got it. She, I always see her reading a book of her next guest and she has a, her own podcast. And so I was like, I gotta go get that book yeah. and 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 flip through that. Well, first of all, it, you know, it used it's a hundred bucks, <laughs> so then I went to I went to the and I went to the bookstore to try to find it and look at it, but. I ch- I did try, but I didn't I didn't get to it. So, but oh, but yeah, cool. That's a that's a cool credential there. That's a cool cool accomplishment. So, uh, and then I guess the last kind of fun thing that you've done recently is that you were the physician for the Ryder Cup, and that was that must have been something. Yeah. You know, I'm a golfer and uh, have been for a lot of years and watched yeah. the Ryder. My favorite. I've been been to it and. Uh, so when you got that that appointment, I'll call it an appointment or whatever it was, but tell us a little bit about that and and just your experience about that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny um how, you know, again, there are things you can plan, but there are things that yeah. you, you can't at all. And some of the greatest blessings of my life have been things that have come out of nowhere that's that awesome. I couldn't have orchestrated. And that was that's a great example. So um <clears throat> I got a call from I got, you know, first of all, I don't golf. I don't know. Okay. I mean, I barely know the rules. Yeah. It's maybe five times. But when we lived in Georgia, we became okay. just some PGA right. golfers. Um, and uh, <clears throat> one of those just happened to be the Ryder that? Cup captain this year. Yeah. This, that, yeah. So he's, he's known me for about 10 years and we're good friends. And um, he knew yeah. my background as a physician. So he's the one that, that originally asked me and then put me in touch with the PGA. And, you know, we had some meetings and, um, that's how I got in touch with the PGA and then was hired by the PGA to do it. Um, and it was, again, it was a really, it was an interesting experience because it's, it's kind of akin to the secret service stuff in the sense that you've got a group of people that are sure. there doing a mission is to keep them and yeah. their team healthy so that they can, they can yeah. you know, perform. And so, um, you know, that, that involved, I put, you know, put together a medical kit. I met with some of the European physicians. When I got on the ground there, I went to the the um, the course, mm-hmm. the golf course early, a couple of days early, and you know walked the course, met with the physicians, mm-hmm. met the security people, all those things. And then as things came up, we were able to deal with them efficiently because we'd put the time in to to you know think through the the possibilities. But it was uh, <clears throat> it was a great experience. Um, well, we didn't rest; it was disappointing. But but any time you have the opportunity to watch, you know, a person who is one of anything. Yeah. It's amazing. And it, 
whether it's you know an athlete or a musician or an entertainer or a you know, business person or a surgeon or you whatever that is, to be able to stand there and watch these guys yeah. hit the golf ball the way they hit it was just otherworldly because you're watching the very best in the world do it and compete yeah. against one another. It was it's incredible opportunity and some of the shots they hit. I just it you know I don't think. I couldn't even imagine someone doing that to yeah. let a video game as opposed to yeah. doing it in real life and hitting it over trees, 150 yards down hills onto a little green in front of a down to 5,000 people who are you know, going crazy while you hit it. I, I don't know. They, it's, uh, it was, yeah, that's wonderful. My, one of my favorite commercials that PGA has done, uh, was it was a few years ago, four or five, six years ago. And it, it just says these guys are good, and it would show these hitting these credit, and and it's so true. That's what you can say. Yeah. These guys are just good, and I've I played some great golf in my younger years. Yeah. I was, you know, I played some amateur slash golf and was a good handicap. But you go out and watch these guys, and they are just they're another level. They're just, and then you take guys like Tiger, and his prime was just. Yeah, he rose to the you know rose to the top. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Yeah, I mean I've seen these guys, and you know what's amazing is for the most part they're not just good at golf. They're good at yeah. it's athletically. I you know I jokingly tell Zach, we you know we played uh, basketball against each other. We played yeah. video games against each other. We you know we've done you know he's beaten me in every sport every single time except for skeet shooting. Because I grew up at home, so I should have God, and he did. I'm not beating him in anything, but you know, all those guys are all like that. They're they're great athletes. They um, they're top competitors. They are incredibly disciplined, incredibly hardworking, and it's really inspirational to get them to yeah. be, have the opportunity to watch. Yeah, them. that's fantastic. Um, so tell me uh, a couple couple other little questions that I have for you. Um, have you had any notable failures? You know, I, I'm a big, I love Abraham Lincoln. You know, he failed 12 or 13 times before he became one of the best presidents ever. And you can pick and choose. Um, you know, you don't have to tell me what you don't want to tell me, but have you had any notable failures in your life that just really kind of set you back and said that you, you, you learned some huge lessons from that you can share what, what you learned on those? Yeah. Well, yeah, and it, some yes, but, um, but I want to put sure. an asterisk next to it. You know, I, I'm a big believer in, and I didn't know the term for it. I, I learned it in business school. I didn't know really what to call it, but in business school, they call it learning by doing. And so I'm a big believer in that. And there's a principle in business school when they tell you, like, if you're getting into a new industry or you're, you're trying to build a startup or you're expanding into a, another product. There are people who want to analyze, 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 and they, they waste opportunity because they're just right. spreadsheets and they're measuring and measuring and remeasuring and right. they don't want to take any risk. That's one way of doing it. And, you know, there's some advantages of obviously being someone who is analytical and thoughtful about, I'm not sure, sure just, you know, sure. not any of that. But there's a tremendous amount that you can learn just by doing. And so I'm a big believer of, you, you throw yourself into a task and you sort of build the plane while you're flying and you do the best you can. And then in that circumstance, if you fall short of what your ultimate goal is, you're still way ahead of where you were. 
So <clears throat> when I started my medical education company, it was about a year before the big recession in 2000. We started in, in, in 2007, really fast. And then when 2009 hit and the yeah. recession was really crushing everyone, I mean, yeah. we got hammered. And uh, I learned a lot from that process, but we were able to, you know, the company was able to survive and, and it's going well now. And, but at the time that was a big loss and that was a big, a big failure because we lost yeah. tons and tons of money and it really, really impacted our finances for a while. Um, and then the other thing that, you know, just recently I ran for Lieutenant governor of our state, but you know, part of one of the things that I decided at the very beginning was, was that I wanted to run. And I felt like no matter what the outcome was, was that there was benefit to running, even if I didn't win. And that has proven to be true. I, I met a whole group of people I never would have met. I was able to, uh, learn a lot of things, not just about the state, but about certain industries and certain individuals that I would have known. And there have been, you know, opportunities that I've had since that race that I would not have had had I not run. And so both starting the company and running for office, had points in time where sure. you could say that was a failure, but if you take a step back and, and you know, what I, I was just talking to Sarah about this recently, if you look at your, if you look at those, in, those individual circumstances, sure. there are wins and there are losses. If you take a step back and you consider your whole life, like for lack of a better term, we call it, you know, Ledsoe Corporation or, you know, mm -hmm. Greg Incorporated or whatever, you know, <clears throat> into the big picture, those failures get um, collated with the wins and you're still able to take you know, principles and learning and opportunities from those things that are even you know, formally classified as failures so that they, they don't, they're not really losses. They're actually. Yeah. And I mean, you talked about it early. I mean, that's so, where wisdom comes from. I mean, that's exactly where it comes from. Absolutely. And I, everybody I've talked to has said something, you know, something similar. And I can tell you my biggest, yeah. call them failures in life, uh, you know, I almost lost my chain of restaurants and, you know, I was not drafted in the 83 draft I was supposed to be. And, but all of those things that I had going for me that I had, call them fails, public fails, taught me so much going forward that I yeah. still reach back to those times and, and pull from those experiences and, yeah. you know. One of them was 40 years ago. So, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Um, so tell me, tell me what, what, um, last couple, couple comments for you. What, what books are you reading lately? I know you read a lot. Uh, a few times that we've been around each other, you're, you got your nose in something and, and, uh, I, I'm a real yeah. big reader myself. I love to read. Um, what are you reading these days and tell me why? That's a good question. There was a book, I think it's called um, Leading, no, a, a Non-Anxious Presence. It's by Mark Sayer, S-A-Y-E-R. I think that's the title of it, Non-Anxious Presence. And it's about how we, this is mm. a very anxious age. It's not just individuals have anxiety, the you bet. culture is anxious because of, there's a lot of, so it's how do you, how do you lead yourself and then how do you lead others? in a culture that's very anxious and reactive. And um, he actually has, it's, a, it's not a big book. Um, it's actually a very interesting book. And that's what I'm, mm -hmm. that's what I'm currently reading. Um, I just finished reading 
oh, what is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Number Go Up by Zeke Fox, which is uh, a yeah. book about Bitcoin and uh, Sam Bankman, yeah. Bankman Freed and, uh, you know, kind of yeah. Juan and cryptocurrency. And then my next book that I want to read is just sitting here. It's uh, this book by mm-hmm. Tom Holland, Dominion, about uh, Christianity and, and uh, its impact on Western culture. And then right after that is. Oh, yeah. Book, yeah. That oh, Adam Grant one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, potential. That's what I'm reading now, and you know, I, I'll, I'll show you. This is my library that I've not Love it. gotten through. Those are some that I've read. You want? Yeah, I, was, I picked this up when I couldn't find yours. I picked this up. It's called Walking in the Amazon. By have you seen? Have you yeah, read that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's yeah, yeah. It was interesting because he talks about putting together his med kits and how you know how he had to go to. Yeah, you know, great lengths to to get what he needed on that. But um, I'm about halfway through. It's a good book. But uh, um, so tell me, and and maybe this is the wrong question for you, uh, but what keeps you up at night? What keeps Greg Bledsoe up at night? Um, I think, uh, I mean, I think two things. I think you know, number one. I always, you know, I guess in a, maybe it's a good thing, but I always have a lot spinning in my head. And so I'm always thinking, and, um, that keeps me from sometimes calming down enough to sleep. Um, but I think the biggest, if you, if there is a, you know, a a stressor or something in the back of my head, I'm always trying to figure out a way. I'm always, I'm always maybe not questioning myself, but I'm always, um, trying to hold myself accountable for the time I have with my kids and with my yeah. family as we're all together when they're young, because, you know, those are, those are years that are fleeting and, you know, it's, it's simplistic to say, well, you know, spend all your time at home, but, you know, and that's true, but, you know, we still have to live. I still have to go do my job and I have to, sure. you know, do this, the, the work prepares me to do my job. So I have to work in my office and read and, you know, all the other things. And so I, I do, I do struggle with making sure I, I want to be here. And when yeah. I'm here, I want to be present, like really here, just yeah. Yeah. off in La La Land somewhere. So, um, that's, I think that's a tension that never goes away completely. I think I've gotten better at it. And I think it also, as my kids have gotten a little bit older, they don't have that, um, compulsive need to yeah. like they did when they yeah. were three or four or five. But I also don't want to, I don't want to, I want I want to value these years and invest in this time, knowing that once it's gone, it's another stage of life and it's gone. And so that's something that's in the yeah. back of my mind constantly in, in this. Well, and I think life. that's good. That's good advice for any parent, whether they're young young parents or 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 seasoned parents, as we'll, we'll just call ourselves seasoned parents. Um, being present for your kids and being in their world is is so important i i somebody gave me a piece of advice 25 years ago and it was it was simply uh if your son or your daughter i have two sons but if your son lets you into his private world whether that's thoughts about girls or thoughts about his future or thoughts about you know make sure that you listen from his perspective from his perspective yeah because if I shut that door or you, you know, perhaps belittle that or, or don't take it as, as, um, 
strongly as you should, then, you know, his perspective will be that you, you know, you don't care. And so I've always, always taken that, you know, when that door opens, I walk very carefully into that door and I look at what he's saying from his perspective or either of their perspective. Uh, and, I, and I think that's gone a long way, but I, I like what you just said about, about that, about being a parent. So um, what's next? I know you just, I, I know you just, you just got a, a you just joined a, a kindly human. Uh, that, that's, I guess, a mental health yeah. Uh, yeah. company, right? Yeah, I've been doing some advice. Yeah, so I, uh, my, the majority of my time, I run an emergency okay. department here in Arkansas and I run an EMF ambulance okay. system. Um, I do some consulting for, um, I, I'm doing some more consulting with, um, you know, there are people who've asked me to, you know, help them as they travel, uh, some athletes and entertainers and things. In 2019, I wrote three goals down in a piece of paper, which were all yeah. sort of moonshots, you know, things I, I didn't, I did, wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do them. The first one, I wanted to earn yeah. an MBA from MIT. And so. Number one, that was a moonshot. That was, you know, difficult. The second one was I wanted to run for lieutenant governor, which at the time seemed so far-fetched. That was you know, a huge moonshot. And then the third one was I wanted to put together a consulting business. And I wasn't, yeah. you know, that was kind of vague, but I wanted to figure out a way of, you know, leveraging sort of the, the various threads of my diverse career and try to bring them together uh, to, you know, provide value to people. And so that's, that's what really my focus is right now. We've, I've signed a contract to uh, do a second awesome. edition of our textbook. So we're putting that together. And then I'm talking to some people about some consulting opportunities. And some of that has to do within the, the world of emergency medicine and dealing with emergency departments, mainly overseas. And then other parts of it is, you know, people who are some athletes and, you know, entertainment people and executive types that travel a lot and have needs, healthcare needs, yeah. helping them with those. Yeah, that's interesting because I think uh, as our as our world spins out of control, it seems like it's just it's gotten so much smaller and so more so much more out of control. And I, I'm not a I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it just seems like it's really spinning hard. And your type of your type of career, your type of skill sets, they fit pretty well with that with that global need for at least at least education in that department. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Right. It's for sure, time to be for sure. Well, listen, I appreciate you doing this. I know you took time out of your, your busy evening. You did a little, uh, little bit of uh, sledding out in the snow with the kids and had dinner. And now they're probably knocking at the door saying, where are you, dad? But I, uh, I certainly appreciate you sitting for this. It's, it's always interesting to hear people's perspective on, on life's success and what their journey's been. So thanks for being here, Greg. Well, hey, it's a real privilege. Thanks for inviting me on, Terry. I appreciate that. So tune in next week to Grind to Growth to Greatness. We'll have another guest. Uh, I won't tell you who it is. So you got you to gotta tune in, subscribe, and like, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Greg. You've been listening to the Grind to Growth to Greatness podcast. Our passion is to talk to the brightest entrepreneurs, CEOs, creators, athletes, anyone who's made it, and dive in to their struggles, their successes, and their secrets. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at grind 2 growth 
to greatness. See you next time.